First uh, John. John the Apostle is now at the end of his life, or towards the end of his life. He's a very, very, very old man. He's responsible now for five books that we have in the Bible. The Gospel that bears his name, the Revelation, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, and as an old man now, we've talked about this in the past, especially as we've taught through Sunday morning, how he's kind of looking back uh, with some longevity, with some life, with some perspective, thinking, what are these things now? The gospel's been written, you know, the, the, he's had the revelation perhaps, and, and, and he's an old man thinking, what else do I have to impart? Um, John is, uh, he's outlived all the other apostles. Uh, he's outlived in, uh, most of the, the eyewitnesses uh, that were there for Jesus' life, death, uh, burial, resurrection, church beginning. He's outlived them all. Uh, he's been through uh, some horrific Roman emperors, uh, none the least of which Nero, who was uh, a fantastic persecutor of the church and Christians. It's said of Nero that uh, in persecuting the Christians, he would take Christians and and bind them on poles around his garden and drench them in oil and light them on fire so he could look at his garden at night. Uh, John has lived through that. Uh, said of Nero that he would dress Christians in an animal fur and give them a, I don't know what the timing is of a sundial, but you know, give them a little head start and then turn the dogs loose and let them hunt them. Uh, just brutal. After Nero uh, was a Roman emperor named Vespasian, he passed away and turned it over to his son Titus. His son Titus had an untimely demise, probably at the hand of his younger brother Domitian. Domitian was a brutal emperor, uh, Roman emperor who persecuted Christians. Uh, one of the worst, not the, but one of certainly one of the worst. And it was under the persecution of Domitian that history tells. So we we don't have this. This is just kind of the. Um, the tradition uh, of the first church that sentenced John to death by boiling in oil uh, and put him in a big vat of oil and it didn't kill him. And as a result of that, he sequestered him to the island of Patmos to, to live on that prison colony on the island. And that's where John had the revelation. Uh, right at the end, towards the end of John's life, I think it was in about 96 A.D., Domitian died, uh, and Emperor Trajan came to the Roman throne, and Trajan changed the edict against Christians to say, let them be, don't bother them, unless they cause civil disturbance, and then we'll treat them like anybody else who does. And so he kind of, he, he, he took the pressure off and allowed multiple different religions just to do their thing. Under, under Trajan, John was allowed to leave Patmos, and he moved back to Ephesus, and, and tr tradition tells us that he died an old man in Ephesus. As an old man in Ephesus, the, the, the last days of his life, they would send the word out to churches or Christian groups and say, the Apostle John is in town, and he's going to speak to us, and throngs would gather around to heal here the disciple Jesus loved the old man John 
the writer of this, you know, this, this, the youngest of all apostles, now the oldest of the saints. Knowing that he walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, knowing he had this whole, I mean, he could, he could imagine what an evening with the apostle John would be like. And his, his, his handlers, for sake of a better word, those who were kind of taking care of him because he's, he's almost 100 years old. They would uh, walk him into the room, the group, the area, and people would gather and raft attention. And this little old man would walk up and he would say this, little children love one another. And then he'd walk out. And it said that they would just sit in amazement. Probably because being in the presence of this person and the simplicity of the message, that that's what it comes down to from someone who has walked with Christ, taking care of Jesus' mom, and the disciple Jesus loved, little children love one another. Uh, and it said that it would just cause them to think, okay, wait, wait, wait. We're not doing that very well. What would it like, look like if we really did? And what would, how would the world respond? Little children love one another. Uh, and so in, in this book, 1 John, one of the things we're going to see in the first chapter is this uh, the high note of what fellowship is. Uh, this book was written, or this letter was written for four purposes, and John tells us the four purposes of why. It's one of the things I like about John. In, in the Gospel of John, he says, these things are written so you'll believe. I'm going to tell you right up, I mean, well, at the end, but I'm going to make sure you know that why I'm doing this. In, in, in the Revelation, this is the revelation of Jesus written for the churches. Uh, in 1 John, he says, I'm right these things. There's four, there's four reasons why he writes 1 John. The first is uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, and he wrote it so that the church would regain joy. Uh, 1 John 1, 1, 4. We write this to make your joy, our joy complete. And he wanted to rekindle that genuine joy that was supposed to be the hallmark of the Christian church and of Christians. Um, the, the believers at the end of the first century were on perilous ground of forgetting uh, the, and, and losing altogether the commodity of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Um, and I, you know, I, I wonder what John would say these days of us, of me, um, about my joy. And so he said, I'm writing this so that our joy is complete. That's the first purpose. The second purpose is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And he wrote it so that we would live victorious lives uh, and not give ourselves to sin. He says, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. The, the first church put a... a, a a high value on avoiding sin because Jesus has died for it and freed us from the authority of sin over our lives. 
Paul would say, how can you go back and live in that anymore? Um, it's, I, I feel like me and, and, and church these days, church people, we, can, we embrace a little bit of sin under the flag of grace. Uh, and the first church would say, no, we don't embrace any sin. Not because not we're legalistic, but because if, if, if we've died to that, how can we live in it anymore? Why is a dog would go back to Ravana? It makes no sense. And so John says, look, I write these things so that you will not sin. Um, the third reason is in John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. And he wrote them just to say, hey, that, be careful because there's people going to lead you astray. I'm writing these things uh, to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And he said, there's a truth you have to embrace. Don't get away from it. Don't start making up your own stuff. Don't start listening to everything you read, you know, on Pinterest and Twitter about, you know, faith and being good people, about self-identity and choosing who you think you are. There's truth. Don't be led astray from truth. Uh, and then the fourth reason is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. <coughs> and he wrote this so that we would be completely assured of our salvation. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. And with an unwavering confidence in your eternal security because of Jesus. And I think as an old man, he's looking back on his life. He's looking back on the life of Jesus. He's looking back on the apostles. He's looking back on the church. And he's like, you know what? Y'all just need to be happier. <laughs> you get so worked up about so much trash. This is a joyous thing, right? Like, enjoy this. Jesus died so you could be free from sin and have an abundant life. And so don't give yourself to it anymore. Avoid it. Your life will be so much better. Hold on to the truth. Because, no, your salvation is certain. And, you know, when, when you're standing at heaven's door, um, and you can do that with incredible certainty, there's no fear in death. Now, now we can say that feeling as though we're far away from that door, but the closer and closer you get, the more convinced you got to be. And the more convinced you are, the more joyful you are even at its approach. And, and so that's, that's kind of where he is in writing this. Um, little children, love one another. Uh, let your boy, joy be complete. Don't sin. Hold on to truth. And know that your eternal life is secure. That's, that's 1 John. Uh, and so let's, uh, let's get into it, yeah? Um, you know what? Let, let's just read the whole chapter because it's only 10 verses long. So let, let's just read the whole chapter, okay? How about I do that? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you, may all, you also may have fellowship with us. 
And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is no place in our lives. I was talking to one of my uh, dear pastor friends and leaders, telling him that we were going through the book of John. He said, oh, I will never go through and teach the book of John or the first, second, third John. It's like, what is that guy trying to say? Just spit it out. Say it plain. It's like he's some bad mushrooms. and He's got all these little things rolling around his head. <laughs> and, and sometimes when you read... Uh, when you read his writings, he does. He just kind of meanders. And the first, I think the first uh, five verses or so is all one sentence. <laughs> he just, he just, now truly there was no punctuation uh, in, in, in this style of Greek. But, but, but even, even if there were, in his mind, this is just one conscience, you know, stream of consciousness. Uh, and he says a lot. Um, and I don't know if that's just who he is or, or, you know, when you're that old, you just keep talking. You figure out what you said. You just stop seeing things over and over and over. Um, anyway, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Uh, he's going all the way back uh, to Genesis. He's going all the way back to Genesis. That which was... From the beginning. Um, and it's interesting. You go back to the Gospels. Mark, of course, has no lineage of Jesus. It just begins at his public ministry. Matthew goes back and traces Jesus' lineage from the, the royal line. Luke traces Jesus' lineage from the human line. John uh, traces Jesus' lineage from the eternal line. From the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Lord was with God in the beginning. Um, and so that's what he does here. That which was from the beginning. Back to Genesis, even before Genesis. Before there was anything. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at with our own hands and have touched. What he's saying here, and this was profound, especially for the Greek Christians. This was profound. He's saying you can have a personal encounter with an eternal God. That's what he's saying. He said he's an eternal God, that which was from the beginning, eternal, which we have heard, which we've seen with our own eyes, and we've touched with our own hands have touched him. So you can, you can have a personal encounter with an eternal God because he is both those things. That's what he's saying. He is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, the, 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 the author of days. The first and the last. He is eternal. He's so far beyond us. But he's, he's so eternal that he's personal. And he's saying, we saw him. We spoke with, we touched him. 
And he's, he's grounding his testimony and authority in the person of Jesus, who is the eternal God. Um, and, 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 and I want us to understand that, that God is both eternal and accessible. Now, we need God to be eternal when we're in need, because we need him to be the eternal one who is completely holy, proficient, and sufficient. But an eternal God that is not accessible is worthless, right? So he's got to be both. It doesn't do us any to have a God who is eternal on the throne, capable of all things, if he's not accessible. And so as he was for John, he is for us. You can hear him, you can see him, and you can touch him. And he'll allow himself to be heard, he'll allow himself to be seen, and he will allow himself to be touched. It's this eternal God that he said that we proclaim the word of life. This, in part, was a combat of, uh, of, of, a, of a, a, a doctrine called Gnosticism. Have you heard of Gnosticism in church circles before? The Gnostics believed that there was uh, true life in some secret knowledge. And part of their secret knowledge was this, that Jesus was not um, a physical man. He just appeared as a physical man. But he was really just spiritual. He was really just a spirit that appeared in physical way. But they, they would say that when Jesus walked on the sand of the, of the shore, he didn't leave footprints. Because he wasn't human. He was spirit. And when he ate, it only appeared to eat. And that's why he could pass through walls and be one place and then another place. And, and John is partly combating that and saying, no, 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 no. He is all of that spiritual, but he's also physical. Because he's an eternal God that is accessible uh, and present with you. So that's all verse 1 right there. Uh, verse 2, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Notice the words. We proclaim to you the eternal life. He's not, he didn't say we proclaim to you Jesus. He said we proclaim to you the eternal life. He didn't say we proclaim to you eternal life as if it's something that you got. He said we proclaim to you the eternal life. Because why? Because in Jesus is the eternal life. Eternal life is, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the eternal life we're talking about. Here's why that's important. Because eternal, like when we talk about we have eternal life. How do we talk? Like, like, in what terms do we talk about the fact that we have eternal life? Future. Right. We would say immortal, mm-hmm. right? We have eternal life in Christ, faith in Christ. We have eternal life. We would say, we would understand that to be future or immortal life. Um, but to be eternal life means eternally past life as well. None of us understand us gaining eternal life as us being eternally past. Right? Our eternal life starts now and goes on into the future. When John says we proclaim to you the eternal life, what he's saying is this life has no beginning. It's not future immortality. It is life eternal from eternity past to eternity present. Do you understand? Like he's laying out the magnificent magnitude of the eternality of the life that is Christ. Not just something we attach to our lives now so that our future is secure. It's something that we're adopted into that is now eternal. Like we're part of this God, like in in this God's family, he doesn't have a beginning or end. 
Like we're adopted into this family that he has always been. And we proclaim to you that eternal life. Uh, it's interesting. You go back to um, John 17, 24. And John 17 is Jesus's prayer for himself, for his disciples, and for all of us who would believe. And Jesus says in John 17, 24, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Watch this. The glory you have given me because you loved me, what? Before the creation of the world. Eternal, the eternal life. That Jesus was with God, the Father. The Father was with the Son. This triune God with the Spirit ever before even creation began. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you, verse 3, what we have seen and heard so that, watch this, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Look what we proclaim. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that so here's the purpose. He, he said, I'm, "We're proclaiming all this to you." Here's the purpose of this proclamation, of this eternality of Jesus with the Father forever. This eternal life. This is why we're telling you this, so that you can have fellowship with whom? The Father and Son. Now, don't skip over it. We would think so that you would have fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. Right? He says us. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a strange choice. We tell you all this so that you can have follow, fellowship with the Father and the Son. He doesn't say that. He says we tell you all this so you can have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with whom? Father and the Son. So he's inviting us into something profoundly huge. This idea of fellowship. He's inviting us in this idea of fellowship. Now, what we, how would we normally define fellowship? Potlucks. <laughs> Absolutely. The old Baptist potluck. That's good fellowship. That's gathering together. Gathering together. Community. Okay, community. That's how we would normally describe it, and and that is all true. But understand, I'm telling you this so that you will be, so that you will have fellowship with us. So, with Jesus, and he says, and then our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. So, So, think about John's fellowship with the Son. Okay. Understand fellowship is this, sharing the same resources and bound by the same responsibilities. That's what biblical fellowship is. Sharing the same resources, so all the resources that you have are at my disposal, all the resources that I have are at your disposal, and sharing the same responsibilities, bearing the same responsibilities, so you are as responsible to me as I am responsible to you. That's fellow, That's biblical fellowship. So John is saying, we're writing this so you would have the same fellowship with us. 
Imagine the fellowship that John the apostle, the disciple Jesus loved. Imagine the fellowship that he has enjoyed with Christ on earth and now as an old man into eternity. Truly understanding that every resource at the disposal of Jesus is rightfully his. And every resource that John has at his earthly disposal is rightfully the kingdom's. And as responsible as God has asked John to be to the kingdom, God has promised to be responsible for John. That's fellowship. And John's saying, I'm telling you all this about Jesus so you can share in our fellowship because I know how sweet it is. I know what it is to have all of the resources of Christ at my disposal. And I know the sweetness of release of taking all of my resources and handing them over to God. If you see fit to boil me in oil, so be it. All of my resources are yours. If you see fit to sequester me on Patmos, all my resources are yours. Because I know all your resources are mine and you are responsible for me. And if you ask me to be responsible for your testimony, your kingdom, and all of that stuff, I know you are that responsible to me to take care of me. And he says, I, I, I live this fellowship with the Son and the Father, and I want to invite you into our fellowship. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a lot more than potlucks and community, right? This is the, these are the resources and responsibility of heaven that the Father and the Son have already shared together from eternity. That he's invited us into and given us the opportunity to have at our disposal. Please understand that we don't access the resources of God by a how-to. We access the resources of God by fellowship with him. Most of us want to know, how do I get God's hand to move in my life? Right? We, I probably preach that stuff. How do I get heaven to move into my world? How do I get God to answer prayer? That's where we all live. And what John is saying here is all the resources that the Father shares with the Son, the Son shares with the Father that we share with all of these resources, they're yours not by a how-to. They're yours in the context of fellowship with him. So you want all the resources of God? You want to share all of that with him? Live in fellowship with the Son. That's what he's saying. And do you understand now why the second purpose of this, or the third one, is uh, the third one is to remain in him and avoid sin? Not for salvation's sake, so your salvation is secured. But when we live with unrepentant sin, it hurts our fellowship. How can it not? Right? Yeah. <clears throat> We write this to make our joy complete. That word joy, biblically, um, right in the word optimism there. 
optimism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Joy should be the goal of every Christian. This should be our. This should be our goal. Um, you know one reason God wants us to be joyful? Because when we're joyful, we're really good advertisements for the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I've said this a lot, and I need to quit talking about it. But I really think we missed an opportunity during COVID. It could have been so joyful. Not that people were sick, not at the, uh, that's not what I'm saying. But you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, we just let that take over. I, I say we in the general sense, because individuals didn't, but we just let it take over all of our attitude and our, and our worries and our conversations. And, um, but here's the thing. Joy um, doesn't come. In a process, joy comes in abiding fellowship with the Father and the Son. He says, look, I'm writing this so that you can have fellowship and so your joy is complete. Joy comes out of fellowship. Increased fellowship increases joy. Who was I talking to the other day? I don't remember who it was. It might have been. I think it was my son, Joe. I don't remember who it was. Darn. But they they were telling me how, you know, it's as if the more I'm reading the Bible and the more I'm listening to teachers and preachers and the more I'm studying, the more content and fulfilled I am. And the more I want to do it, <laughs> yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. Like, absolutely. Uh, and as we increase fellowship, we increase joy. Um, and, and so this is so th- that's that's first four verses. We good so far? And so verse five. Uh, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you: God is light; in him there is no darkness at all. Let me just stop right there. Uh, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Um, What this means is, and the scripture says it differently other places, uh, in God there's no shadows, there's no turning. Um, And so if we ever get to that point, which we do, a feeling as though there's just no connection and uh, it's it's just not clicking with God. Uh, it is not because God has turned or God has made himself to live in the shadows. It's because we have. Because John is real clear here. Um, God is light. There's no darkness in there. So all the darkness of confusion, all the darkness of fear, all the darkness of trepidation, all the darkness of I just don't know, has nothing to do with God turning away or making things secret. He is light. In him there's no darkness. So much of what John's going to tell us continues to get back to fellowship with him, fellowship with him, fellowship with him. In the book of Revelation that John also wrote, chapter 21 maybe, he says in the, the, in the new heavens, there'll be no moon, nor stars, nor, nor sun. Because 
Christ is the radiant light. Uh, and, and, and so if there's ever darkness, it's not because God has withdrawn or gone away or, or become secretive. He's the radiant light that's going to replace the sun one day. Uh, and, and so in him, there's no darkness, there's no turning. If we're confused and, and, and we're scared and we're full of trepidation or worry or I just don't know, John would say, come back to fellowship with the Father and the Son. Come back into fellowship. There's something about that that's leading you out of fellowship. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Remember what the fellowship is, that sharing of resources and responsibilities. And, uh, and he says, if, if we claim to have that with him and yet walk in the darkness, we're liars. We don't live in the truth. Now, please understand, uh, when he's talking about walking in darkness, because he'll say in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, uh, he's, talking, he's not talking about the issue of salvation. He's not talking about if we walk in the darkness as unsaved people. He, he, the, the whole thrust, especially of chapter 1, is fellowship. So he's saying if we walk in the darkness of unfellowship uh, and we claim we have fellowship, um, we're lying. The truth isn't in us. He, he's saying so, so, so walk in fellowship with him. If you're going to say if you're going to say you're Christ follower, stay in fellowship with Him. Uh, if we, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So it, as we live in fellowship, as we keep our fellowship with 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 the Son, the Father, and with each other, as we walk in that light, as He is in light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Um, the blood of Jesus is an important, um, it, it's an important topic all through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. Sometime go through the Old Testament and look at the first mentions of the blood. It's a fascinating study. Maybe we'll do that sometime when we're done with the book of John. Uh, but he draws on this idea of blood, which was, which was a huge um, of huge importance all through the Old Testament for the remission of sin, of course, with Christ. Um, he says the blood of Jesus, uh, uh, his son purifies us from all sin. Uh, it's the blood of Jesus that has freed us from two things, the guilt of sin and the stain of sin. Uh, that's what he's saying here. The, the blood of Jesus has purified us from all all sin, the guilt of sin and the stain of sin. Here, here's what we have to understand about what the blood of Jesus shed on the cross has done for us. <clears throat> One, it's freed us from the guilt of sin. If, we, if, if, if it didn't free us from the guilt of sin, we would still be guilty of hell. Okay, so the, the guilt of sin equals hell. So the blood of Jesus has freed us from the guilt of sin. So that we don't have to suffer hell, eternal separation. Does that make sense? Okay. But the blood of Jesus has also freed us from the stain of sin. The stain of sin is what continues to live in us and ruins fellowship. 
And so we have to understand the importance of the blood of Jesus and what it's done to sin. Most of us understand and live in the reality, at least the spiritual reality, of being freed from the guilt of sin by the blood of Jesus. I'm saved. But we've lessened the importance of the blood of Jesus freeing us from the stain of sin, which ruins fellowship. And so we abide sin in our lives, thinking that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus and I'm saved. And that's true. But we've neglected to realize the importance that it has also freed us from the stain of sin. And when we allow that to live in us, it ruins our fellowship with him. And when it ruins our fellowship with him, it cuts us off from the resources that God has and the responsibilities. Does that make sense? So if you walk in the light, in this fellowship, as seems we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, the Son purifies us from all sin. Now, this idea of purifying us from sin, go to John uh, 13 10. This is a great picture of what it means to be purified from sin. Now, on his death uh, on the cross, sin that was shed forever freed us from the guilt of sin. So salvation is done. We don't have to, you know, get all worried about that by faith because of his blood. But there's something that happens to us, and it has to do with the stain of sin. Um, So this is when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Okay? Um, And John 13, Jesus says, wants to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, no. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter says, well, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. <laughs> just go on and give me a bath then. Like, if, if, if being washed by you means I get to be with you, clean all of me. What does Jesus say? Verse 10. A person who's already been clean, who's out of bath, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean. He's saying, look, I've cleansed you from your guilt of sin. You're clean. But you get a little dirty walking around a dirty world. So I, you need to continually be, be purified of the sin that you collect that ruins your fellowship with me. You understand what I'm saying? Like like most of the time we think of these verses in here as the prayer of salvation, and once I prayed it, I'm good. And that is true for salvation. But what John is saying here is there's this commodity of faith called fellowship. And though you may be saved eternally, as we walk around a dirty world, we get dirty feet. And so if we confess that, um, the blood of Jesus ongoingly, continually purifies us, though we've already had a bath, continues to purify our feet, purified from sin, so that our fellowship remains intact. Does that make sense? Yes. <sighs> 
Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, the more and more and more I lead people in prayer, the more and more and more I, I'm, I'm prompted to encourage people to pray uh, for conviction so we can repent. Uh, and, and as I've been doing that more and more and more, the more I'm, I'm realizing that one of the things that we need to be convicted of is our pride in thinking we got nothing that we need to be convicted of. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, like most people are like, you know what? I'm, 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 I keep pretty short accounts with God. I'm, I, I, you know, and, and when I mess up, I, I ask forgiveness real quick. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Ooh, that's some, some spiritual area. I mean, and, and so he said, you know, you claim to be without sin. Quit fooling yourself, man. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have, we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. If we confess our sin. Um, verse 8 and 9. Uh, we have to understand the role of confession. Confession is crucial for continued fellowship. Confession is crucial for continued fellowship. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about for a real healthy relationship. Confession is crucial for continued fellowship. Um, I don't think there are many people who would think that they're perfect. Right? I mean, none of us here. But I do think that there are a few people uh, who think they're still sinners. I don't think anybody would say, yeah, I'm perfect, I'm good. But I, I think oftentimes Christians get to the point where though they would never claim to be perfect, they don't necessarily claim to be sinners, necessarily. Like sinners are people who need to accept Jesus as their Savior. And, and if we do admit we're sinners, it's always with usually an asterisk. And, and we say things like this, well, I know I've sinned, everybody has. Right? I know I have, but I mean, that's just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm human. It always comes with a caveat and an asterisk. Yeah, yeah, I did, but at least I'm not. And I said, you know, I have that, but you should have seen me. And I think there's, there's, there's a lot to be said about our own minimalization and justification. And maybe that's why we need to continue to confess our sin. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and if you're ever around people that help you minimize your sin, get away from them because all they're doing is keeping you from grace. That's all they're doing. Oh, no, it's not that bad, man. You're so, I mean, you're doing so good. You know? <laughs> get away from me, devil, because all you're doing is keeping me from grace. Like, let me live in the degradation of my sin. Because when I do that and I draw close to God, do you know how much grace I get? Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So if you try to convince me that, that I'm not in desperate need of God because I'm a wretched sinner. It's, you know, when Paul started, when he first came to faith, he said, I'm a Jew of Jews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I stuttered and, again, and all this list of things. And halfway through his life, he said, um... 
I'm, I'm not that good of a Jew, but I, I'm not a Gentile. Yeah. And at the end of his life, he said, I am the worst of sinners. Yeah. And if you try to back him off of him being the worst of sinners, boy, he probably would have thrown hands because now you're backing me off of grace. And, and so, I, you know, I, I think not many people would say they're perfect, but I think we would put an asterisk by, by how sinful we are. Um, and, and let's just not do that. Let's make sure we don't do that. I always heard those two verses um, in context of salvation. Sure, and, and that's a great context. Yeah, but there's more to it than yeah, that. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard it in yeah. context outside of salvation. Yeah. And understanding wow. John's point in this letter, mm-hmm. part of it is I want your door to be complete and that happens in fellowship. Mm-hmm. And when we live with dirty feet, mm-hmm. it cuts off fellowship, which ruins our joy. Mm-hmm. Um So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Um you, you know, no one is ever kept out of the kingdom um, or kept out of fellowship for confessed badness. Uh, but many are kept out of the kingdom and fellowship for supposed goodness. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so we got to be real careful. Let me just wrap it up with this. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just. He's faithful to forgive and he's just to purify us. His faithfulness forgives us. His justice purifies us. Because it would be unjust to forgive us and leave us in a state of uncleanness to be enslaved to sin. And so he'll purify us. And then because he, it would be unjust for him to leave us, slaves still to sin. And so what John is saying here is you're no longer slaves. Purify yourself. Stay in fellowship. That your joy may be complete. Yeah? Anyway, that's chapter one. Okay? All right. So we'll get to chapter two next week. And here's my plan. We're going to do chapter two next week, and then chapter three, and then chapter four, and then chapter five. And then we're going to do second and third John together. Okay? They're pretty short little books. And, you know, he's an old man. How much can you say the same thing over and over and over? (laughs) We good? All right.